All right. Well, good morning. I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. Really appreciate you being with us this morning. I, uh, I want to encourage our music team, as always. They do a fantastic job. And I want to say thank you for leading us. And I love that with the variety we have, we've got the full band, we do a cappella, we sometimes we get the backing tracks, and we just kind of like to do a little bit of everything. But I think, Peter, for that song, I would like to ask that the men go up and down when they sing their part, I think, and the women should do it opposite. I think that would be way more fun. Way more fun. We are in a series called The Oikos Principle, or... The idea that the primary way in which Jesus spread his message was through the relational world of his followers. Last week we talked about prayer, the importance of it, and its impact on your oikos. Today we're going to talk about investing in your oikos. So there was this financial advisor and he met with his client and he said, Really sorry, sir, but I've got some bad news and I've got some worse news. Which would you like to hear first? And the client said, well, give me the bad news. And the advisor said, well, all of the money that you've given me, your entire life savings that you've given me to invest, it will all be lost in 24 hours. The client, stunned, said out loud, That's pretty bad. I mean, what could be worse than that? And the advisor said, well, I should have told you that yesterday. (laughs) You know, sometimes investing is risky. It's risky business. But when it comes to helping the people in your world, in your relational, in your relational world to believe Uh, to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ, taking risk is what it's going to require. There's no other way. Let's pray before we read the Bible. God, thank you so very much for this morning, for bringing us together. Thank you for this incredible fellowship of people. I'm so grateful to have them in my life. And God, I pray that today we really uh, dig deep into your word, that we get inspired by what we see And God, that we really invest in the people that you've put in our lives, that we're willing to take that risk. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. So Jesus has begun officially his public ministry just a few months or so prior to this interaction. He went down uh, to spend some time with John the Baptist. There he met a few of his earliest disciples, uh, Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and John. And then after spending some time with them, he went up into Capernaum where they lived, and he went to the, the Sea of Galilee, which is, we have a little map of it there, and he went to the town of Capernaum, and he called those men to become his first followers. And we learned in our previous study that that wasn't a random thing. It wasn't by accident. They knew each other. There was a prior relationship there. And so when Jesus showed up on that day and said, come and follow me, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, like a stranger just asking them to come and follow. It was someone they knew. In fact, 
James and John might even have been relatives to Jesus. And so that helps us understand why they were so quick to follow him. They already had a prior connection to him. Well, after that first meeting, Jesus then took those disciples and they went to their synagogue where he began to preach his message of repentance and of uh, of belief in God. And it was their relational world, it was to their friends in their synagogue that Jesus carried his message. And so we see that there's this connection. There's a relational connection from Jesus to the first followers and then from the first followers to the friends that they have in their synagogue. And that's where Jesus went next. And after that, the Bible tells us that they went out throughout the entire region of Galilee. Galilee's like a, you can think of it like a state, kind of. It was kind of like a province in Palestine. And it was basically to the west of the Sea of Galilee. And it was in those towns and cities that they went and sort of leap each, each step of the way. They sort of made relationships and then went to new relationships. And that's how they began the work. Jesus began his work with his disciples, spreading his message throughout the land of Galilee. It wasn't as if he was just a total stranger and he just showed up. He actually worked through the relational connections that these people had and so on and so on and so on. After some time of doing that, they returned to the city of Gal- to, C- to Capernaum, the town of Capernaum. And it says, once again, Jesus went beside the lake. Of course, there was a large crowd. By this time, Jesus had become pretty well known. In a pretty short amount of time, he became pretty well known in the town of Capernaum. And so a large crowd came out to hear them, and he began to teach them. And as he was teaching them, he happened to pass by a tax collector's booth. And sitting at that booth was a guy named Levi, son of Alphaeus. And just like when Jesus called the first followers and they followed him, Jesus calls Levi to follow him and Levi gets up and follows him. Now, the Bible does not give us a lot of specific details on the connection or any prior connection that Levi may have had with Jesus or the apostles, but I want to give you an argument that suggests that there probably was prior relationship between Jesus or at least the disciples and this tax collector named Levi. For instance, we're in the first place. Levi's booth was on a major thoroughfare just along the, uh, alongside the city of Capernaum. It, a road, I don't know if you can see it, but it traveled from the north, where you say that word Seleucia. It came from there, went all the way up into Damascus. It went south through Capernaum, and then it went west all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea. It was a major thoroughfare. That's why there was a toll booth there. That's basically what Matthew was. He was collecting tolls on that road. That's how the Romans raised money for their government. Now, the disciples, these early disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they lived in the city of Capernaum. When Jesus came to the city of Capernaum, he would have taken that road. It is highly likely, it is not um, illogical at all to consider that Jesus would have passed by Matthew's booth on more than one occasion, including the disciples themselves would have passed back and forth, paying their tolls as they went in and out of the city of Galilee. 
Secondly, Peter and Andrew, James and, 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 and a man named Zebedee, who was the father of James and John, were successful fishermen. They, were, they had a business, and their business involved catching fish in the Sea of Galilee and then selling the fish, which would mean that they would have to pay their taxes every time they went in and out of the city to sell their fish. They would catch it, they would dry it, and then they would sell it to vendors and even take it out of Capernaum and throughout the surrounding towns and villages. Again, it's highly likely that they would have had some sort of relationship, may not have been a friendly relationship, don't get me wrong, but there may have been some sort of relationship happening here between those guys and Levi. Also, Capernaum was a small town. And a Jewish person who becomes a tax collector would have been pretty big news. Because we don't have favorable opinions of tax collectors in general. And if you lived in a very small town and your buddy from high school grew up to be a tax collector, word would get out. Oh, Mike, he went and became a tax collector. Well, in those days, they hated tax collectors more than we hate tax collectors. They were considered traitors. If you were a Jewish tax collector, you were considered a traitor. So believe me, Levi did not go to that year's high school reunion. He wouldn't have been very popular in a positive sense, but he would have been very popular in that small town as one of the Jews who became a traitor of the people and was collecting taxes for Rome. And then finally, as I've already mentioned, when Jesus came back to the city of Capernaum after taking his first little missionary trip with his earliest disciples, when he entered the city, it says a large crowd came to hear him. Jesus had quite a reputation. So on that basis alone, even if it was just on reputation... Levi had some sort of knowledge of who Jesus was and what he was about. So whether it was from direct contact with Jesus or one of his disciples, or if it was reputation alone, it is more likely than not that there was a relational connection here. There was a familiarity between Levi and Jesus, or at least a number of the disciples. You know, one of the basic truths of the Oikos principles, we've been talking about it, is that no meaningful conversation can occur without two people's permission. Now, if you're on a train one day, or in an airplane, or in an Uber, or sitting at a bus stop, or standing in line at the grocery store, and someone next to you begins to open up with their whole life story. And they begin to tell you how empty and lonely they feel. And they begin to tell you how traumatic their life has been and how difficult things have been and how they've been searching for answers and they can't find any. And they look you in the eye and they say, Peter, do you have an answer for me? Believe you me, Peter's going to tell him about Jesus. And Peter should tell him about Jesus. But encounters like that are very rare. That's not the normal way in which people interact with one another. Relationship is the oil that smooths the dynamic 
between two people. Familiarity greases the rails. It allows for a comfortability and an openness and a transparency and a vulnerability between two people. And so if you get a total stranger and they say that to you, of course you're going to witness to them. Of course you're going to tell them about Jesus and about your faith. Of course, who wouldn't? But you know, in the rare times in my life that that has happened, that's pretty much all that's happened. We have that talk and we have this great interaction and I never hear from them again. Even if I follow up, I never hear from them again. It's very rare. Because people do not grant that kind of permission unless there's a prior relationship between them. That's just a fundamental truth in human interaction. Our ability to trust and connect with another person has a lot to do with our familiarity with that person. I really believe that Levi and Jesus, or at least the disciples, had some sort of interaction. There was some sort of prior connection here between them. And that connection, even though if it wasn't all that friendly, it was instrumental in helping Levi respond to Jesus' call. So we've been talking about oikos and having an oikos. And I've been challenging the church I'm doing it in my life. Our whole ministry staff is doing it. And I'm calling you to, to, to follow that lead of identifying an oikos. Who are the relational people in your world? Who are the people you connect with in a gen, you know, um, most frequently? Who do you have the most credibility with? Start with them. Identify them. That's your oikos. The Greek word means, in English, is translated household. Oikos means household. These are the people in your household, in your life experience. If you've been struggling with, well, who is those people? Who are they? You've been trying to figure out. I would encourage you to start with the people that you already know. That is the best place to begin witnessing about Jesus Christ. It's with the people who you already have a connection to and a relationship with. They're the ones that are most likely to give you their attention and to give you credibility and even one day perhaps get up and follow you as you follow Christ. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So sometime later, Levi invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. It could have been the same day. I don't know for sure. What's interesting to me is to think about what was Levi's motivation? What was the reason he invited Jesus over? Was it because... He had been empty and in despair and hated himself for being a tax collector. And he saw Jesus as his way out. And so this was a big going away party. Like he was telling everybody, hey, I quit the tax collector business. I'm now following Jesus. Or maybe it was just that Levi lived on the outside of Jewish community. He wasn't really able to worship in a full sense with with his fellow Jews because they looked at him as a traitor. Maybe this was the first rabbi in a long time that even gave him any any time of day. And so, man, he invited him over and invited his other sinner friends over so that they could hear from Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what Matthew, I'm sorry, what Levi's motivation was. But I do know what Jesus's motivation was. Jesus's motivation was that he wanted more than just a casual connection to Levi. Another fundamental principle, in the oik- a truth of the oikos principle, 
is that once you've identified a relationship, it needs to be nurtured. It needs to be invested in. And that is exactly what we see Jesus doing at Levi's house. He's investing in Levi. I have my ushers here, and I'm going to ask them to hand out our cards. We call these mission love cards, oikos cards, whatever you want to call them. If you haven't gotten one, please take one. If you've gotten one, you don't need to take one unless you want an extra one. That's fine with me. But we want to make sure we're going to hand these out every Sunday for a while because we want to make sure everybody gets one. If you're visiting, you're free to take one. We've got plenty. The purpose of these cards is to help you focus on the people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life. These are the people that you've identified as being a part of your household, a part of your oikos. The people that God has put on your heart to be a witness to. We've talked through the card once before. There's different categories there. It's pretty self-explanatory. I'm not going to go into that. But the purpose of this card and why we keep giving it out is because we really want you to use it. It's for your benefit. Who remembers, this is going back a couple weeks or so, who remembers who Dwight Thomas is? Oh, wow, Hunter. Do you remember who he is? <laughs> no, no, not, not, not Dwight from our fellowship, different Dwight, not Dwight from the office. <laughs> Dwight Thomas. Oh, you got to guess. Nope. Didn't have anything to do with bridge. I, don't, I hate saying no to people, but no, good guess. I love that we're guessing. Anyone else? Dwight Thomas was Emmett Smith's high school football coach. And if you remember, in one sermon I did a few weeks back, he had Emmett Smith in high school. Emmett Smith, by the way, is a Hall of Fame running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he is the all-time leading rusher in professional sports. In, in professional football, he was the all-time leading rusher in his college. He was the all-time leading rusher in his high school. He credits... A lot of his success to his high school football coach, Dwight Thomas, who, when he first went to high school, gave him a card, a three-by-five card, and he told him, write down your goals on this three-by-five card. And Emmett Smith wrote his goals down, and then at the end of that season, he accomplished every goal, and he just kept that habit throughout his life. He just kept writing his goals down, and when he got into the NFL, one of his goals was to be the all-time leading rusher in the NFL. And he made, and he saw that actually happen. The reason why I'm referencing Dwight Thomas is because Dwight Thomas convinced me that if you don't write it down, it won't happen. And we're giving out these cards because we want you to write down the names of the people who God has put in your life on purpose. And when you write them down, there's a greater likelihood that you will begin thinking about them more often, begin praying for them, and as we're talking about today, begin investing in them. And so the whole point of these cards is to get you, to give you a tool to, to begin focusing on the people that God wants you to invest in. Let's talk about for a minute what that means, investing in people. Verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating 
with the sinners and tax collectors, and they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So picture the scene. Jesus is in Levi's house, and all these tax collectors and other sinners, his buddies, are in the house, and they're having a good old time enjoying dinner and talking and whatever they're doing. And outside the house is a group of teachers of the law who also happen to be Pharisees, which means they're sort of the elite of the elite. And they're on the outside complaining about what's going on on the inside. Now, the teachers of the law were important people in Jesus' day. Their job was to sort of make sure that any new rabbi was staying on track, that he wasn't getting too out there with his ideas. They were kind of the, they were the vetters of new rabbis. They made sure people were, were adhering to the, to the traditional view of Scripture and all that kind of stuff. Important role, important people. And many of them were good people who really loved God's Word, and they really wanted to protect the purity of the faith. And, and then you add on top of that that they were also Pharisees. Pharisees was this sect within the Jewish people that really held themselves to this very, very high standard of righteousness and purity. So they were the elite of the elite. Very important people, very good people, very influential people. The problem was is in all their focusing on purity and keeping things uh, right and setting uh, and, and making sure that the law was being honored, they began to divide people. They began to separate themselves from everyday other people. Well, can't hang out with you because you're, you're just a regular Jew. I'm a Pharisee and I got to live by a higher standard. So they sort of became legalistic and they began to snowball into this sort of elitist mentality. This isn't my point today, but just picture that image for a minute, that in the house, Jesus is there mixing it up with the sinners and the tax collectors, and the Pharisees are outside complaining about what's going on on the inside. I never want to be on the outs with Jesus. I always want to be in the in with him. But the message today is about investing in our oikos. So let's go back to that. The, defin- the dictionary defines investing as this. Expending money with the expectation of achieving a profit or a material result. <clears throat> Number two, devoting one's time, effort, or energy to a particular understand undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. Now, in both cases, investing requires taking risk. You have to risk something to get something, and that's exactly what we see Jesus doing when he entered into Levi's house. Now, he wasn't risking money. What was he risking? His reputation. His purity in the religious leader's eyes. Anything else? Those are good. His time, for sure. He was risking something here. Primarily, he was risking his reputation. His peers, other rabbis, from this time on, looked down at him. As a matter of fact, and I know you know your Bible, the story of Jesus, for the rest of his ministry, he is plagued by teachers of the law and Pharisees who are constantly criticizing his actions. And a lot of it stemmed from the company he kept. 
from the people he was willing to associate with. They had a hard time with that, and he never really recovered that part of his reputation in many of their eyes. But he did it because he wanted to give Levi a chance, a chance to repent and to believe. I say chance because like any investment, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that Levi would respond to his investment, but Jesus did it anyways. Once a year in May, we take up what we call a special missions offering. It's a free will offering. We all come together for one Sunday in, in, in May. We save our money and we give over and above our regular giving some money towards the mission work around the world. And in our case, we have two mission fields that we help support. One is the Nordic Baltic countries, Scandinavia, Norway, the Baltics. And the other one is Eurasia, which is basically the former Soviet Union. And in the early days of the work in Moscow, back all the way back in 1991, the, the lead evangelist of that mission work was a man named Andy Fleming. Many of you know him or know of him. I know him. He's a great guy. And he has shared this story before, and I'm not going to go into the detail he can do it in because it, well, it's not my story, but I want to share his story because it really makes a powerful point about investing in people. Early in those, in those early days, he met a guy named Sergei, oh, I'm going to say his name terribly here, Sergei Kononenko. Here's a picture. He's the guy in the middle. And Sergei was a former world champion Greco-Roman wrestler. He doesn't look it in the picture because he's kind of behind us, but he's huge. And not only was he this former world champion wrestler, just all muscle, but he was also the muscle for, the, for a Russian mobster. Not a safe guy to know or to be around. Well, Andy and him crossed paths, and Andy, being the disciple of Jesus that he is, began to reach out to him and share with him about Christ. And little did Andy know, but in Sergei's heart, he wanted out of that life, but wasn't going to tell Andy right off the bat. And so they crossed each other's paths a few times, and one day Sergei said, hey, you come here. And he's with all of his hoodlum buddies, and Andy's like, oh, no, what did I do? Anyways, they ended up talking, and he pulled him aside, and he said, hey, I'm interested in this. I'm looking to change my life, but I can't do it in the environment I'm in. I need a place to stay. So the strong man for a rough and mafioso comes to you and says, hey, I'm trying to reform my ways. Can I stay with you? Andy, don't recommend this in every circumstance, a man of great faith said, sure, and allowed Sergei to stay with him on his couch in his tiny little apartment in Moscow with his wife and two kids. They had two rooms and a couch. And Sergei stayed there for a while while he was going through the process of sort of disentangling himself from that former life. And Andy tells the story of the first day, the first night that Sergei stayed there, he went to bed and it was scary. I got this guy in my living room. 
And in the morning, he woke up and he heard noises coming from his kid's room, tumbling and banging and noises. And he got afraid and he got up and he ran to the kid's room and he opened the door and there on the floor was Sergey doing push-ups with Andy's kids on his back. <laughs> and the kids were giggling and laughing. Sergey today is an evangelist in the Moscow Church of Christ. One of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. Incredibly kind, incredibly loving, gives these massive hugs. But it took risk. Andy had to invest in Sergey. What are you willing to risk for the people in your oikos? What are you willing to give, to sacrifice, to put out there for the people who God is putting in your life for you to lead to Christ, to help them repent and believe in Jesus? If you're like me, it's going to come from three things. It's going to come from your time. It's going to come from your treasure. And it's going to come from your talent. And sometimes you're going to have to do all three. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Be risky. Take some chances with your oikos. Do some investing in those people that are on your list. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as that. It could just be having coffee on a regular occasion with them. It could just be taking them out to a ball game or to a movie. But yes, it's going to require some time, some resources, some of your talent. Maybe it's helped them move. Don't run out. I know that's the worst thing I could say. But maybe you get in their life and there's a need that they have and you have a good talent for that. Get in their life and start investing in them. It will do wonders for them. And you will see God work in a tremendous way. Verse 13. We're in chapter 3 now. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. They came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that they might send, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee. His brother John. To them he gave the name Boandrius, which means sons of thunder. To Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. In chapter 3, this is the very next chapter, we get this list of these 12 names of men who were Jesus' oikos. They were the men that he focused the most on in his earthly ministry. He spent the most time investing in them. Now, the first few on the list we are, are familiar to us from previous lessons. Simon, James, John, <coughs> Andrew. They were some of the very first people Jesus called to be his followers he met them all the way down with John, in the days of John the Baptist. They were the first people he went and got when he went public with his ministry. He wanted to be a rabbi. These were his very first pupils. But number seven on the list is this guy named Matthew. We don't know a lot about Matthew, but the thing we know about Matthew is that his Hebrew name was Levi. He's the same guy that we've just been talking about in Mark chapter 2. He was the former tax collector, Levi, son of Alphaeus, who worked at the booth on the road 
uh, just outside the city of Capernaum that went through the main, that was the main road that went through the city. He became one of Jesus' core followers, one of the 12, what they call apostles or ones sent. Now we see why Jesus went and got him. He wanted Matthew, or Matthew or Levi, whichever one you want to use. He wanted him to be one of his 12. And now we see why he invested in him, why he was willing to throw his reputation out the window, because he had big dreams and big hopes for Matthew. And you know, Matthew didn't disappoint. Tradition tells us that Matthew was a disciple the rest of his life, that he shared his faith all the way down into the country of Ethiopia where he was finally martyred for his faith. The investment was worth it. When you invest in the people in your life, the people that God has given you, when you are purposeful with them in fostering and nurturing the relationship you have with them, it is worth it. Now, I can't say that everybody you invest in is going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that they're going to repent and believe. But I can say this. None of them will if you don't. And God has put you uniquely in their life, in their path, to be his representative. To care about them in a way that maybe others don't. To see past their shortcomings, their failings. To look through all of that and see who they could be if they knew Jesus Christ. And he's calling you and he's calling me to invest in them. Write them down, pray for them, and invest in them. That's the entire challenge of the message today. It's to call us to this next step. Start investing. You know, for me, I've been doing this almost a year now. We started this with the ministry staff first. We wanted to kind of feel this out, make sure that this was the right thing, because like I said, this is not a campaign. This is not a program. This is who we are going forward. And so we've been doing it for about a year, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, the people on my list that I pray for, I've written them down, I pray for them consistently. And I've begun investing in them. And I can tell you in every case, God has been working in their lives. It could be as simple as they needed a job and now they got a job. It could be as simple as they've got some health issues and I'm just praying for their health issues. It could be something as easy as getting regular time with them and just having spiritual talks and godly talks and them saying to me, hey, you know, I think, I think God's moving in my life. Little by little, doesn't happen all at once. I know we want the story. I know we want the story of the guy or the girl who we met and they immediately wide open and then we want to tell everybody and then they become Christians and automatically they go on going to the full-time ministry and it was all because we had one talk. I know we want that. It's not how it works. That's not the norm. Great when it does, but the, the norm is the everyday praying the everyday investing, the everyday relationship that we build with people, pouring our time and our energy. Any parent in here can relate to the long haul. You start when they're little and you're just investing the entire time and you hope that by God's grace, they take care of you when you get old. 
It's the long haul. It's not the quick fix. It's not the, it's not the dash. It's not the race. It's not the sprint. It's the marathon. It's the overtime, consistent, persistent love of people that God has put in your life. And so we're encouraging you. We're calling you as a church to start investing in your oikos. This time we're going to stand, we're going to close out in prayer, and you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together.